The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zolsdorf and another podcast. Welcome as our guest today, an anonymous diocesan priest who, via Crisis Online magazine, has sent a heartfelt letter to bishops. We are taking it on the chin again these days as a new kind of abuse scandal roils and boils the blood. We now hear of the predations of bishops and bishops who turned blind eye to those predations. And uh, more and more evidence is oozing out that there are homosexual networks, a lavender mafia, as it's sometimes called, that exercises a huge influence. Frankly, We've known about this for a very long time. It's just that now more evidence of it is coming out into the open. In some circles, we, we've known this for a whole long time with a great deal of pain, but now it's, it's uh, more widely known. Uh, I don't buy the claims of some, by the way, that there is a large percentage of homosexuals in the Catholic priesthood, uh, especially among those ordained in recent years. I won't talk about a couple of you know, a couple of particular decades. But I do know that the percentage is higher among those who hold greater positions of power. There was a self, and probably maybe still is, I guess, a self-perpetuating network who raise up and groom certain likely lads who will then reinforce the and perpetuate their boys' club. This has been painfully obvious for a very long time. And yet they who were the violators were also the watchmen, the guardians, who by divine office are appointed to curtail this sort of thing, correct it, prevent it. There is a savagely biting second-century poet by the name of Juvenal, who quipped in one of his satires, Quis custodiet ipsos custodes? Who will watch the guards? It's like saying, who polices the police? This phrase has come to be uh, famous in, in generally in political contexts. But uh, ironically, Juvenal aimed it at guarding the moral behavior of women. And now I get to apply it to a class of men who behave like women, especially when they are out to get you. Uh, Many years ago, an auxiliary bishop who is now the archbishop of a major Midwestern see uh, told me over breakfast about bringing up a certain matter with his own archbishop, his superior at the time, and his archbishop waved him off saying, don't tell me, if I know about it, I'll have to do something about it. And then that... uh, Bishop said to me, Remember, John, there are old women of both sexes. And over the years I've had innumerable verifications of that immortal observation. 
So the following, what I'm going to read, is an open letter to bishops from a young priest. Now this priest has clearly been ordained long enough to have tasted the bitter wine and gall from priesthood's sponge. Uh, and his letter, which is a real cri de coeur, is a mixture of irony with heartfelt supplication, in, its, in the best sense of the word, supplication. Listen for the moments, for example, when he turns tables on his intended Episcopal readers. So here is this anonymous priest's letter in my own reading. I have no idea, uh, sincerely no idea, who this priest is or where he is. Where are the bishops who will defend faithful priests? By a diocesan priest in Crisis Magazine, 9 August 2018. August 4, 2018, the Memorial of St. John Marie Vianney. It is hard to communicate to people the life of a priest. The inexpressible joys that we experience every day are so difficult to express, as if the privilege of journeying with people through the dark valleys in their lives with hope that we can be the shepherd who brings them comfort. In light of the current ecclesial climate, I would like to share my story, not so much my biography, though elements of that are mentioned in several places. I would like people to know where my heart is. It is tired, and it is broken. I can physically feel pain in my chest. While I know there is hope in Christ our light, and while I know that this is His church, and that the harvest is at hand, in which one day the weeds and wheat will be separated, it would be foolish at present not to address my hurt and my frustrations. I think others can benefit from hearing as well, so this writing is my feeble attempt to share my story, our story, the story of an American priest. First, I must say that I love being a priest. I have always loved being a priest. This is my vocation. It's my love to serve the people of God. God made it apparent to me from my youth that I was called to be a father to many and to spend my life for love and service of the church in a way which is single-hearted. He granted me a love for the Eucharist and a passion for preaching the truth. I attended parochial school. In my teenage years, I was moved particularly by the voice of John Paul II to respond to the call of the Lord. This call was fostered by Steubenville conferences, life teen events, and my love for truth was fed by EWTN, along with the writings of the Pope, who would be a saint. I even spent several years in lay ministry, one as a missionary, before entering seminary in the fall of 2002. At the time, I thought I knew what I was getting into. I knew that my love for the truths of the Church as proclaimed by John Paul the Great was not shared by many of the American clergy. Year after year, my peers were ordained, the disdain of baby-boomer clergy for these young priests became known. Rigid, conservative, and pre-Vatican II were among the favorite buzzwords used to describe the emerging clergy of the day. I also knew the environment of my home diocese. 
My parish was rocked by a scandal involving the priest and one of my teenage peers. The long-time pastor of my home parish was known for having multiple affairs. One mistress was known personally to my mother. It was even long rumored that he had personally funded several abortions. Another priest at a church near my home was seen in public with apparent male lovers. And, yes, I knew about the sex abuse scandals. I entered seminary in their shadow. My classmates and I, we knew what we were dealing with. The Dallas Charter came, and the criticisms were clear. There was still no bishop accountability. Yet we were filled with hope. There was a new era, a freshness in the church. The moral laxity of the 1970s was drying up, and the people of God were hungry for truth. New bishops came, appointed by an informed John Paul II and his successor. I remember crying tears of joy when Benedict was elected, despite the open contempt of boomer clergy. Gone were the days when men such as Weakland, Untner, Gumbleton, and Imish were rising to the episcopacy, despite their open dissent with the magisterium. There were new bishops who wanted solid orthodox priests to teach people about the truth and beauty of the authentic message proclaimed by Christ to his church. I knew there would be resistance. We knew there would be resistance, but we would have the backing and support of our spiritual fathers. They would protect us and stand up for us. Even though we may be lambasted by our brothers, many of which were living deviant lives, both hetero and homosexual, we knew the men to whom we pledged respect and obedience would protect us. We were wrong. In my years of priesthood, I have learned what the greatest good is for a bishop. It is to have to address as few complaints as possible. So, if a priest is having a gay affair, if he has a serious drinking problem, if he is sleeping around with women, if it is clear that he has mental disorders that inhibit him from overseeing his parish, if he is wicked and cruel, if he regularly abuses the liturgy, if he preaches heresy, if he contradicts the bishop, if he teaches counter to the moral teaching of the church, as long as there is no traceable record of complaint or continual outcry from the people, then all remains the same, as long as the sins remain mostly occult. If a bishop can legally turn a blind eye, he will, because otherwise he may have to do something unpleasant. To some extent, this intentional and willful ignorance is understandable. I think I know why these men act or don't act as they do. Whenever a bishop takes action against a priest, there is outcry, especially if it is a popular priest who preaches what people want to hear. I know of so many situations where a bishop has justifiably removed a priest, only to be met with a deafening, unyielding chorus of disapproval. Letters are written, both to the press and to the nuncio. Petitions are signed, websites are created, tweets are formulated with trending hashtags. All detail the plight of a kind-hearted priest being persecuted by a malevolent bishop for no apparent reason. It has to hurt the morale of other priests trying to do the right thing. It is a terrible thing to do your job and be persecuted for it 
within the church, despite the words of our Lord, the servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If I may, I now speak for myself and my peers directly to the American prelates. Bishops, we can appreciate how you feel when attacked for doing what is right. We can appreciate the hurt, the desolation, and the immense loneliness. We can appreciate it because we live it as well. We live it when we preach a homily defending the church's teaching on marriage and are chastised by you for upsetting the people. We live it when we express how difficult it is to live with someone who drinks himself into a rage every night, and we are told by you that we need to get along with our pastor. We live it when you let our brothers mock us behind our backs over cocktails with benefactors. We live it when we are chastised for legitimate liturgical expressions, and our brothers who preach counter to the faith are given plush parishes and diocesan offices. We live it when our peers call us names and paste misplaced quotes of Pope Francis on our doors. We live it when we see seminarians leave because a priest made an advance on them, and you do nothing about it after we report it. We live it when our family and friends part ways with us because of church abuse scandals. We live it when we are insulted in public. We know that it is difficult to do what is right in the current climate. We often look to you, our spiritual fathers, for solidarity and support. We need someone to stand with us to be shining lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. But we remain alone. At best, you ignore us, and at the worst, you punish or reprimand us. We don't always get it right, especially when we are newly ordained, but think of this. Is it fair to berate a young priest for overzealous imposition of Latin when you know his pastor is cruising gay bars and do nothing? Is it prudent to rebuke a son for preaching on an unpopular topic while his colleague regularly openly endorses contraception? Is it fair to continue to punish us for honest mistakes while our colleagues live an open life of dissipation which you ignore? We are resolved to celebrate faithfully and reverently in accordance with the Church's tradition the mysteries of Christ, especially the sacrifice of the Eucharist. We are resolved to exercise the ministry of the Word worthily and wisely, preaching the Gospel and teaching the Catholic faith. Yet we are criticized, while those who live a wanton lifestyle at the expense of the people of God and at the cost of the salvation of souls. Can you imagine how this grieves us? Can you imagine how alone we feel? We can no longer find consolation in our spiritual fathers. When I was a young seminarian, I could find consolation in the words of the Pope. Those days are gone. Pope Francis often says things that confuse the people of God and appear to contradict the very material we preach. Even more distressing, he joins the ranks of his generation who label and stereotype younger clergy. He now gives them permission to call us 
little monsters, and provides them with cliché adages to use out of context, such as, Who are you to judge? This has created an environment of intense loneliness. Bishops, we want to stand with you. We want the corruption gone, without counting the cost. We want to fight against the lavender mafia and immorality in the ranks of the priesthood. We are willing to take the hits with you. We are willing to defend you. We are willing to stand up. We are willing to pick up the slack if you need to remove men from ministry. We are ready to console and pastor those misinformed souls that will be hurt if you take the right action. It's time to stand up to all of this. It's time. It's past time. It sadly is too late for many, but not all. Enough is enough. We want to be in solidarity with you. Are you in solidarity with us? Every scenario you have read in this reflection is true and born out of my personal experience. The corruption in the church is real. I can tell you this, if you feel hurt or betrayed, please know that I do too. If you have been hurt by a priest such as me, who is well-intentioned but fallible, I implore your forgiveness and beg your mercy. If you have been hurt by the abusive behavior of a priest, words cannot express my sorrow. Please, let us help you. I remain in the church, not because she is free of corruption, but because she preaches the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth that I know makes us free. He has promised that the gates of hell, let alone human corruption, will never prevail against her. Know that these truths, along with one other essential factor, are what keep me doing what I do and enduring this nonsense. That other essential factor is love. I do what I do because of love. I love the Lord who gave me this call, but that doesn't keep me here in the diocesan priesthood. I could love God in a quiet, beautiful monastery or hermitage somewhere, far removed from this nonsense. I'm here because I love you. We love you. You are worth the scars, the neglect of the hierarchy, the scorn of peers, the ridicule and the immense loneliness. This love of the Lord and love of you brings far more joy than this mess could ever hope to extinguish. We love you. We are here for you. And above all, Jesus Christ is Lord. St. John Vianney, pray for us. That was an open, anonymous letter from a priest to bishops, which is posted online at the site of Crisis. A crisis, by the way, should be a daily stop for you as it is for me. It is a, it's extremely valuable. Now, here are some of my own observations. First, I understand, having read the content of this letter, why the priest wanted it posted anonymously. I do not, in general, like anonymous posts like this. In general... I think a man ought to sign his name and stand up and be known. Uh, that's been my practice. I say that in particular, um, about this anonymity thing, about certain sites uh, where writers 
hide themselves, lest they have to pay a price as they snipe and gripe. I know that anonymous posting and nom de plume and so forth are a long tradition, uh, but uh, in, at, at a certain time, a man just has to put his name out there and stand up. Uh, but I digress. In any case, uh, the anonymity of the writer in this case makes this letter from, if I can put it this way, Father Everyone. His anonymity underscores that there are many, very many, faceless priests out there, the grunts and the tommies in the World War I trenches, who are really suffering. Now, one thing I would offer is that uh, the bishops to whom this letter has been extended were also once just priests. They weren't always bishops. Uh, bishops, contrary to the belief of some, uh, are neither sprung full-blown from the head of popes, nor are they assembled from spare parts in a garage. Uh, that said, many bishops were, uh, if we can put this delicately, fast-tracked by a certain kind of bishop into the view of those who recommend and nominate to the Pope men for additional consecration and, above all, additional power, precisely so that they can perpetuate their own kind. Uh, some of these men, I wonder if they believe anything at all. You know, I can, I can forgive a great deal in a, in a priest, just as I can in anybody else. Uh, priests are human beings. I can understand human weakness, and I can forgive clerics of just about any rank a lot of sins. But the one that really makes me see red is ambition. Some sins or weakness of the flesh are the result of a whole lot of you know, very complicated factors. You know, priests and bishops are human beings, and they're sinners. We're not donatists, right? But ambition is diabolical. And the men who burn with what I call scarlet fever will do anything to anyone for an additional step toward their goal. And I have the knife marks and the boot prints on me as proofs. But again, I digress. Now, to this young priest, I would remark that bishops were priests and that there are bishops out there who do, in fact, back their priests up regularly, and they really support them, and the priests know that the bishop has their back. These bishops have priestly hearts for their priests. They look at them as their brethren, and they stand up with them when the attacks come. I know that there are bishops like this because I have personal experience of a couple in my life, However, I've also had the experience of the other kind. I'd also add that while priests have a lot of cares in carrying out their mandates, many priests, especially maybe the younger guys, cannot fathom the sheer quantity of and variety of problems that crosses a bishop's desk every single day. And remember, too, that God doesn't choose for the priesthood or the episcopate men who are worthy. He chooses those whom it pleaseth him to choose, according to his great plan that we can't fathom. Uh, sometimes I think as a spiritual exercise, I often, every single day I try to think about the four last things. And as a spiritual exercise, I try to imagine what must go through the mind of a damned soul during her first 30 seconds in hell. 
the realization of where she is, he is. Uh, by extension, I'll wager that a lot of bishops, when they are made bishops, really don't have a clue what they are in for. But after a while, they have the realization of what their life is going to be now, from now on. Uh, and they also maybe sag. Truly pious, devout, holy men, filled with zeal, sag under the realization of what the modern bishop has become what the modern bishop has been transformed into by a combination of being in a very complicated world and also by the eroding, enervating examples and emphases of their predecessors and of their brother bishops, who frankly may have actually lost their faith and may look at themselves more as, as, as if they were senators or CEOs, rather than as priests and successors of the apostles. And their example and their emphases has almost like tainted the entire college to which they now belong. Now I'm going to stop. I am going to stop now before I say something uh, that I shouldn't. I have tremendous compassion uh, for bishops. I can't imagine what it must be like to be a bishop, and I can't imagine uh, what <laughs> wanting to be one. And I thank God that there are bishops. Uh, and I thank God that there are bishops so that I don't have to ever be one. And I will never be one. And I uh, pray for them all the time. Look, friends, we are in a time of real testing. God permits trials such as the one we are going through and going to go through. It's going to get worse. He permits these trials to purify our love and to strengthen us in our identity and to confirm us in our vocations. These times that we're in that we are in are going to be with their sifting and kind of brutal sorting uh, in anticipation of the final ultimate sorting of the tares and the wheat uh, though we should remember that that true final sorting belongs uh, to the lord of the harvest the end time uh, not to us here so pray for the church and pray for our clergy especially invoke Mary, Queen of the Clergy, the Queen of Priests. We have to remember to love sinners while hating sins. That's not easy, but anything else is simply not Christian. Prayer for Priests O Almighty Eternal God, look upon the face of thy Christ, and for the love of him who is the Eternal High Priest, have pity on thy priests. Remember, O most compassionate God, that they are but weak and frail human beings. Stir up in them the grace of their vocation, which is in them by the imposition of the bishop's hands.
keep them close to thee, lest the enemy prevail against them, so that they may never do anything in the slightest degree unworthy of their sublime vocation. O Jesus, I pray thee for thy faithful and fervent priests, for thy unfaithful and tepid priests, for thy priests laboring at home or abroad in distant mission fields, for thy tempted priests, for thy lonely and desolate priests, for thy young priests, for thy aged priests, for thy sick priests, for thy dying priests, for the souls of thy priests in purgatory. But above all I commend to thee the priests dearest to me, the priest who baptized me, the priests who absolved me for my sins, the priests at whose masses I assisted, and who gave me thy body and blood in holy communion, the priests who taught and instructed me, or helped me and encouraged me, all the priests to whom I am indebted in any other way. O Jesus, keep them all close to thy heart, and bless them abundantly in time and in eternity. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.